welcome back to Bengal Bites, a podcast about the Cincinnati Bengals from a real, raw, unfiltered perspective. I'm your host, Derek. This is episode 37, the week 17 recap, where the Bengals went to Arrowhead Stadium and lost to the Kansas City Chiefs 25-17. This loss effectively ended the Bengals' playoff chances, playoff hopes. There's still one game left to play. A lot of people are acting like the season is over. I mean, it effectively it is, but this game was, you know, going into this game in the previous episode, I said if they were able to make it close, entertaining, I would be happy. And that's what they did in this game. They ended up losing by eight points. Basically, the expectation was seven and a half point spread coming into this game. They lost by eight. So they lost by the amount that they expected, but they at least they kept it close. It was interesting, especially in the first half. The Bengals jumped out to an early lead. Looked like Bengals might be able to pull off the upset. And so we at least had something to cheer for, something to feel good about in this episode. It's so funny how if the script was totally flipped around and Kansas City scored all the points right up front and then the Bengals just kind of managed to get some points up on the board late, it would have felt a lot worse than it did in this game. So We'll talk about what happened in this game, talk about some of the good things that happened. All the There really wasn't that much, but anything positive we can find, we're going to bring it to light. But we'll also have to discuss some of the many negative aspects that happened in this game, why the Bengals lost this game. It didn't come down to just one play or one bad call or whatever. Like Some people would have you believe. It's taken me a while to build up the energy to record this podcast because I don't record this podcast for money. So if I was recording this podcast for money, there'd be a lot of ads in this podcast. You won't find any ads in this podcast at all. There's no sponsorships, nothing like that. So why am I recording this podcast? Well, I used to have a science teacher who would ask, is this for fun only? We're just doing this for fun only? No, certainly not for fun only. We were trying to learn about science. But for this podcast, it is fun only. There's no sponsorships, no other reason for recording it for fun. And talking about this loss, it's hard to have a lot of fun. So I'm going to try to have as much fun as possible. Some, It's weird how after a loss, the opposing team's fans will go on social media and like go into the other team's chats and go into their threads and listen to their podcasts. So if you're a Chiefs fan looking for some fun to listen to the Bengals sadness, this isn't the place for you. This isn't the place to have fun, Chiefs fans. So if you're a Chiefs fan listening to this podcast, you and your cousin slash wife can go F off. This isn't the place for you, Chiefs fans. This is a place for Bengals fans, hardcore Bengals fans (laughs) who are going through it right now. In this episode, like I mentioned, we're going to try to pull out all the positives and then just break down the game from an objective perspective. One of the reasons I wanted to make a podcast was I felt like not many people or not enough people we're talking about this Bengals team, this Bengals franchise. Some would say with good reason, because to the victors go the spoils. And Bengals haven't won a Super Bowl, so they're not going to get a lot of headlines. People aren't going to be talking about them as much as they would be about the Chiefs. But that was one of the things that was kind of annoying to me in this game was Tony Romo and Jim Nance were just talking about Chiefs, Chiefs, Chiefs for like the first 10 minutes of the broadcast. And then, oh yeah, and I, I guess they're playing the Bengals too. But they barely had anything to say about the Bengals at all. It was just all Chiefs 24-7. Kind of sickening. So that's why I wanted to make a podcast because national media, they're not talking about the Bengals. Nobody's talking about the Bengals. In this game, what were the... So in this episode, we're going to cover the positives. We're going to break down most of the stuff. Not going to go like play-by-play through this game because it was kind of painful. But we're going to cover most of the things that happened in the game. Break it down. Everything that was interesting. And then we'll discuss where do the Bengals go from here. Season's not over yet. Still one game left to play. So kind of put everything into perspective and figure out what we're going to do from here on out. Now, this is the first episode of 2024. It's a new year, new opportunities. Unfortunately, this is the last game of the Bengals season. There's not going to be any more opportunities this year. But this team, I mean, you want to say it's promising. It's got a good outlook. But the window hopefully is not closing. Joe Burrow previously said as long as his career is going on, that's the window. Joe Burrow's career is not anywhere close to being over. Even though his season is over, 
the window for this Bengals franchise and Super Bowls and all that kind of optimism is still in full swing. Going into this big matchup against the Chiefs, the Bengals were 8-7, and seven, Chiefs were 9-6. and six. Chiefs were only one game better than the Bengals. Going into it, you know, people were talking about, oh, the Chiefs are in disarray, just like they were talking about the Steelers the week before. People were talking about how the Steelers were dead and buried, their season was over, Mike Tomlin's going to get fired, yada, yada, yada. Then the Steelers came in and blew the Bengals away, even though the Bengals were favored. Now, the script was flipped for this game against the Chiefs. Bengals were underdogs by a touchdown. So nobody was really expecting a lot, but people were saying, oh, the Chiefs aren't the same Chiefs anymore. They're not as good as they were last year, all that kind of stuff. Chiefs in this game proved they still had plenty of firepower to completely overwhelm the Bengals. They looked overmatched from start to finish in this game. It was actually surprising and fortunate for the Bengals that they jumped out to an early lead in the first half. But it was just kind of a slow, grinded out, painful game that the Bengals just ended up could not muster enough defense in the second half or offense, couldn't get any points in the second half at all, and just let it slip away. It was really kind of a heartbreaking loss, just the way that it kind of bled out just slowly over the course of the game. In terms of positive aspects for this Bengals team in this game, there really were not a lot. The, unfortunately, the maybe the best thing I could say about the Bengals was Jake Browning and the rest of this team, for the most part, gave a good effort. You know, they tried hard. As opposed to some of the other players on the Steelers and other teams, you can't say the Bengals didn't at least try hard, give it maximum effort, for the most part. Uh, but, you know, sometimes your best just isn't good enough. And that was the case in this game. The Bengals tried hard. They gave it a good effort. But their effort just wasn't good enough against the Chiefs on this day. And... That really, whether you want to admit it or not, the Chiefs were the better football team, the better team. Bengals got outplayed. They got severely outcoached, I would say. You know, the Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan and Lou Anaromo, they had an extra day, or actually they had two extra days over the Chiefs to put together a good game plan. And offensively in the first half, it looked like it was kind of working. They were able to move the ball and get a few points. But after that, and especially in the second half, the Bengals got completely outmatched, outcoached, outplayed, outschemed by the Chiefs and Andy Reid. It was really a disappointing performance by the Bengals in the second half. They didn't score any points. They let the Chiefs move the ball up and down the field, left and right, all over the place. They were fortunate or, you know, it was good in the fact that the Bengals defense was able to prevent the Chiefs from scoring a lot of touchdowns. The Chiefs scored six field goals. They kicked six field goals in this game but I mean seven scoring drives the Chiefs had one touchdown six field goals seven scoring drives given up by the Bengals defense you know it was a bend but don't break all the way but still giving up field goals just giving up points you know that's not good either so I can't say the Bengals defense really had a good performance I would say Jake Browning had a pretty good performance it wasn't amazing part of the reason was there was a lot of, or not a lot, but there was a consistent wind in the stadium. There was about 10 miles an hour of, you could see it when you watch like the all 22 angle, the flags at the top of the stadium, at the top of the goalposts were blowing one direction. So sometimes the teams would have the wind to their back. Other times the wind was in their face, but that's not a good scenario for Jake Browning as a quarterback for the Bengals, who does not have a very strong arm at all. He does throw good spirals, so that was maybe the one saving grace is he doesn't throw a lot of ducks that get caught up in the wind too badly. But you could kind of tell some of his passes, the accuracy wasn't there. He was just kind of off. And it looked like Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for the Chiefs, was able to throw it through the wind a lot more effectively than Jake Browning was. So that was one thing the Bengals had going against them was the wind factor. Outside of throwing the ball, Jake Browning was pretty good. <laughs> that's unfortunately that you know that's some of Jake Browning's best qualities as a quarterback are everything except for throwing. <laughs> Which as a quarterback, you know, you want a quarterback who can throw sometimes. And he made some okay throws in this game. I'm not going to say he didn't make any good throws. 
But there were some throws that were way off. You know, maybe it was the wind. Maybe it was just him not being very accurate. He missed a lot of throws on receivers who were open. His vision wasn't that good. There was receivers who were, you know, you can't make every play. But if you go back and watch the film, there was plays where he was looking in the wrong direction, reading. I don't know what he was supposed to be reading, but, you know, there was a play where Jamar Chase would be running wide open down the middle of the field and he just doesn't even look at him. It's like this is the your all pro Pro Bowl wide receiver and Jake Browning's not even like glancing in his direction. A little bit confusing. But in terms of making plays with his legs, I thought Jake Browning did a good job of picking up first downs, making plays happen when he needed to, putting his body on the line. Jake Browning was playing playoff football in terms of putting his body out on the line, taking shots, taking hits that you wouldn't normally want your quarterback to take throughout the course of a regular season. But if it all comes down to one game, you absolutely have to have it. That's the type of situation where your quarterback needs to take those risks. And that's what Jake Browning was doing in this game. He wasn't sliding. He was, you know, diving headfirst, trying to get those first downs. He was putting his body out there to make blocks. And he got pounded by the Chiefs defensive line a lot. As opposed to the Bengals defensive line who barely put any pressure on Patrick Mahomes all day. Chiefs defensive line had Jake Browning under constant pressure, especially in the second half when the Bengals needed to pass. Jake Browning was just getting pressure up the middle, off the edge, every direction. Bengals offensive line couldn't really muster much of a protection. And it was, not to get too far to the negatives, but the Bengals were putting so much effort into protecting Jake Browning. For good and for bad. Like, on the one hand, Jake Browning did not throw inter any interceptions, as opposed to last week where he had three interceptions. No turnovers for the Bengals. That was That's another good aspect for the Bengals. No turnovers, no fumbles, no interceptions, even though it was windy. And there were some plays that Jake Browning was off but didn't end up in interceptions. So the fact that they didn't turn the ball over, that was a positive. And the fact that they forced a turnover... Trey Hendrickson, even though he didn't do much outside of this one play, he ended up having a signature Trey Hendrickson moment where he came in, beat the Chiefs' backup left tackle off the edge, did a swipe move with his hands, came around off the edge, and did a strip sack on Patrick Mahomes, got the ball back for the Bengals' defense in Chiefs' territory. That was a huge play, ended up converting that into a touchdown for the Bengals. So a massive play by Trey Hendrickson. But otherwise, the defense was pretty terrible for most of the day. Maybe the only other good performance on defense, I could say, was Mike Hilton, even though he didn't play that many snaps. For some reason, they had Akeem Davis-Gaither, the third Bengals linebacker, playing more. Maybe it was to stop Isaiah Pacheco in the run. But Mike Hilton only played about like half of the snaps. But he did have a couple of tackles for loss big tackles on third down to prevent them from advancing, getting first downs, getting touchdowns. Mike Hilton, is, you know, he's pretty consistently been one of the better tacklers on the Bengals this season. So a pretty decent game by Mike Hilton, but Bengals defensive line, especially the Bengals defensive interior, not good. Bengals linebackers, not good at all. Bengals secondary, not good at all. Just a bad, you know, Coaching, playing, everything about the Bengals defense on this day, even though they only gave up 25 points, it was, like I said, seven scoring drives, six field goals. The Chiefs, if they had converted some of those field goals into touchdowns, could have easily beat the Bengals by two scores or more. From a purely playing aspect, maybe the other positive you could say was Brad Robbins the punter had a decent day or is an above average day for Brad Robbins in terms of punting distance the wind didn't seem to affect Brad he got off some good punts even into the wind but there was a in the second half there was a punt Brad Robbins got off a good punt but then the Chiefs returned it like 25 yards Brad Robbins got the good tackle on that one good effort by Brad but you know not much in terms of Special teams play. Charlie Jones couldn't get anything going in his return game. He had one return for one yard. Sticking with the positives, all the I'm trying to think of all the positives that can. I would say, I guess you would have to put this in a positive category of players playing through injury for the Bengals. That's not necessarily a positive that they were injured and not 100%, but 
Jamar Chase was able to play in this game, but he said he was about 70% healthy. He wasn't 100%, and the Bengals didn't know whether he was going to be able to play in this game, so they maybe didn't necessarily tailor the game plan around him being available for the game. He only, Jamar Chase only got seven targets, four catches on seven targets. He actually ended up being the leading receiver for the Bengals, even though he wasn't the number one. But unfortunately, T. Higgins exited this game early with a little bit of a tweak in his hamstring. He felt his hamstring kind of tighten up early in the game. He took himself out. He did end up coming back into the game for a few plays in the second half. So you could say that was positive that T. tried to come in, tried to gut it out for his teammates to try to get this victory in this all-important game that they had to win. But even T wasn't able to do much even when he was in there. So both the Bengals' top receivers were not at 100% in this game, but they were both trying to play for the teammates. But football is such an emotional game. It was good that the Bengals and Jamar Chase didn't let the emotions get the best of them. There was a moment in this game where the Chiefs cornerback, Legereus Sneed, who also played through a calf injury, he and Jamar Chase got into a little bit of a shoving match and all the Chiefs defenders all of a sudden came over and wanted to fight Jamar Chase, like the whole defense versus Jamar Chase. I don't know where the Bengals were to back up Jamar Chase in this fight, but the there was an offsetting penalties, unsportsmanlike conduct. It was good that you know there wasn't a big brawl. Everybody kept their composure in this game for the most part. But yeah, I mean, if I'm talking about like not getting into fistfights as being one of the positives, that's how you know there really weren't that many positives in this game. It was mostly negative, mostly frustrating. It was so frustrating, especially in the second half watching this game where it was all just slipping away before our eyes. But like I said, at least it was entertaining. At least it wasn't a complete blowout from the beginning, just completely miserable. At least we got that first half to enjoy ourselves a little bit, just a little bit of ray of a hope to keep us entertained for the rest of the game. And when we put things into perspective, we didn't have Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase and T. Higgins were both not at 100%. Team was without DJ Reader, the best defensive player. So this was the expectation. And going into this game, and when Joe Burrow went down, I said the expectation should be about 500, meaning win half the games, lose half the games. And that's exactly where the Bengals are after this game. They've won three, they've lost three. With one game left to play, they can either get on the winning record or be on the losing record. It's, you know, it's not going to, it all comes down to this one game. It's really kind of a meaningless game. But in terms of the success of the coaching staff and Jake Browning without Joe Burrow, I said that if they won more games than they lost, they could consider that a success. So even with this loss, they still have an opportunity to finish the season with what I would consider a successful result. And if they go four and three, they have a winning record for the season, have a winning record with Jake Browning and not Joe Burrow. That would be a success in my mind. So that's what we have to keep in perspective. Even though this loss hurts, it was really the expectation from the beginning. So we can't be like, oh my God, I'm so shocked that they lost by exactly the number of points that they were projected to lose by. <laughs> like this pretty much was what we expected to happen. Maybe it didn't play out exactly how we thought it would, but we can't be surprised by this. This is pretty much what was going to happen all along. It just hurts. <laughs> even, even though we knew this was going to happen, it hurts as a fan to watch your team lose. But now let's go through the game. We'll get to all the negatives as we work our through it as we work our way through this game. There's tons of negatives. I don't need to make a special negative section, but we'll just talk about all the negatives. They'll come through naturally as we go through this game. So Bengals lost the opening kickoff. Unusually, Bengals normally win the coin toss, but whatever, it doesn't matter. But they received the ball, so they got the ball first. Their first drive, Bengals went 15 plays for 59 yards and a field goal. There were numerous times in this game first drive where Jake Browning needed to use his legs to scramble outside of the pocket. Nobody was open or they were double covering Jamar Chase and T Higgins. Nobody was open down the field. So Jake Browning had to make something happen, which he did. He took a hard hit on one of these, but he popped back up. No worse for the wear. It was a good opening drive, but it was kind of weird where, you know, it was that West Coast dink and dunk. Everything was like 
three yards, four yards, five yards, but nothing deep. No big plays, no explosive plays. So they were moving the ball, but very methodically, very slowly. And then it ended in a field goal. They did all this stuff, getting first downs, converting on third and long. But then they just came away with a field goal. It was kind of a letdown. It was, you know, such a good productive drive and then just kind of stalled out. And those, you know, first 10 or so plays are what they normally script. That's, they kind of used up all their good plays and only came away with a field goal. And right from the beginning, Jake Browning, they schemed it up wide open, drew sample over the middle, and Jake Browning completely missed him, threw it like 10 feet over his head, incomplete. Luckily, it didn't get intercepted. But that was, you know, first play of the game. They had a guy wide open. Good job by the coaches scheming him open, but Jake Browning just couldn't execute, couldn't throw a good pass. But... I, throughout this game, I was kind of asking myself, why aren't they giving it to the playmakers, somebody who who could do something with it? Like, there were so many targets in this game. They were going to the tight ends, like they do most of the time, but like passes to Drew Sample, passes to Tanner Hudson, passes to Mitch Wilcox. No passes to Irv Smith because he didn't even play in this game. It's the second game in a row where the Bengals supposedly starting – tight end who they brought in in free agency. Last week, he was a healthy, inactive scratch. I think he might have been in uniform, but I didn't actually see him play in any snaps on the field in this game. So I don't know if Irv Smith was active or not, but that was a big negative is they needed a playmaker to step up, especially given the fact that Jamar Chase was not 100%. He said he was 70%. T. Higgins went out early in this game with a hamstring strain. They needed somebody else to step up. And I love Tanner Hudson. He's great at what he does, but he can't be the number one receiver. All Tanner Hudson is going to do is catch the ball and get him tackled immediately. He's not going to get you a bunch of yards after the catch. He's not a dynamic playmaker who's going to score touchdowns for you. Bengals' offense was really lacking that kind of playmaking ability in the passing game and the running game. They gave the ball to Joe Mixon 21 times in this game. He got about 65 yards, 3.1 yards per carry, but no long runs, no explosive runs, very few rushing first downs. And when they needed some yards in short yardage down in distance, Joe Mixon and this offensive line were not effective in picking that up. But also no Chase Brown or very little Chase Brown. No Travion Williams, not that Travion Williams was really explosive anyway, but no Andre Yosivash. He was only in for a few snaps, even though T. Higgins was out, which is weird. Very little Tyler Boyd. We didn't see, I don't know if Charlie Jones played on offense at all. He didn't get any any targets. If he did, talk about disappointing. Charlie Jones, fourth round pick. He has not done really anything this entire season. Just the Bengals... You know, they were just trying to do this dink and dunk methodical all the way down the field. That's great, but the Chiefs were busting off like 30, 40, 50 yard plays, driving the ball all the way down the field. Yeah, they didn't score a bunch of touchdowns, but they were moving the ball, picking up. If you look at the stats, just to jump ahead here, the Chiefs outgained the Bengals on yards per play two to one. Chiefs didn't run as many plays as the Bengals did. Bengals ran like 15 more plays than the Chiefs did. But the Chiefs were much more efficient with the plays that they did run. Chiefs averaged 7 yards per play compared to the Bengals' 3.7 per play. In terms of passing plays, Chiefs averaged almost 8 yards per pass to the Bengals' 4. And on running plays, Chiefs averaged 6 yards per run compared to the Bengals' 3.3. So in both aspects, running and passing, the Chiefs were twice as effective as the Bengals on offense. And again, I'll point out that Zach Taylor, the head coach, is supposed to be this offensive genius. He got doubled up by Andy Reid. So the offensive game plan, the offensive scheming, whatever you want to call it, Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, Bengals got completely outmatched in the offense. And flipping it around to the defense, after the Bengals went up 3 to nothing, that was actually a long drive. It was 15 plays, 8.5 minutes. So that was a good drive in the sense of keeping the ball away from the Chiefs' offense because we know how explosive they can be. That was part of the Bengals' game plan, I'm sure, was to shorten the game, keep it as low scoring as possible. 
Bengals didn't want the Chiefs to, you know, score 30 plus points. They figured if they keep it, you know, in the teens or the 20s, they might have a chance. But the Bengals offense hasn't shown a great proclivity for scoring 30 points this year. So they needed to keep it, you know, low scoring. So it was good. But then the Chiefs come out right after that. They go down the field with a seven-play, 75-yard drive that ends in a touchdown, and they only take three and a half minutes to do that. Less than half the time of the Bengals' drive, and the Chiefs got a touchdown in seven plays instead of 15 plays. So right off the bat, it was like, okay, Chiefs took the lead immediately, 7-3 to on the Bengals. Not much defense from the Bengals at all. It wasn't looking like a good sign. But... Bengals responded to that with their own touchdown drive. They came back with an 11-play, 75-yard drive that ended with touchdown to take the lead back, go up 10-7. Number of good plays by the Bengals in this drive. Maybe the best throw Jake Browning made of the day was on third and two. He had a pass to Jamar Chase on the right sideline. It was in the hole of the cover two. He, I don't even know why. Jake Browning threw this pass because it was so dangerous, but he managed to fit it in just over Legereus Sneed and in front of Justin Reed, the chief safety, to Jamar Chase along the sidelines. It was a perfect pass, risky pass. I wasn't even, like, watching on the replay, I was like, I'm surprised Jake Browning had the balls to throw it because that was a risky pass, but he fit in there. Probably the best pass of Jake Browning on that day. They ended up moving it down. And it ended with a Joe Mixon touchdown. Good pass from Jake Browning out of the backfield. Hit Joe Mixon right in stride where he could turn, catch it, turn up into the end zone and score. Great drive from the Bengals to go up 10-7. to Then, right after that, Chiefs get the ball back. A couple plays later, Trey Hendrickson gets the strip sack on Patrick Mahomes, knocks the ball out at about the Chiefs' 25-yard line. Bengals get the ball back right you know, in scoring position. And they're already on top, 10-7. to 7, So that was a great turn of events for the Bengals right there. They ended up scoring another touchdown. Wasn't the easiest way to score because they took eight plays in four and a half minutes just to make it 24 yards. But one of the things that helped them was one of the few deep passes the Bengals attempted in this game. They threw it into the end zone to Jamar Chase and ended up getting a defensive pass interference penalty to put the ball on the one-yard line. Even though the Bengals had it at the one-yard line, it took them three plays to score a touchdown. They tried Joe Mixon up the middle, got absolutely stopped for no gain. They tried a, I think, I guess it was a play-action pass, but it almost ended in disaster because coming out of under center, Jake Browning got his foot stepped on. He tripped, fell on the ground, and it was almost a sack. Luckily, he was able to get up off of his off of his knees, throw the ball just out to Mitch Wilcox for an incomplete pass, save the yardage. But that was almost a disaster if they would have fumbled or something like that and the Chiefs would have picked it up. Luckily, they didn't fumble. The next play, Jake Browning was able to scramble to the right, get around Willie Gay, the Chiefs middle linebacker. He Jake Browning did just enough of a spin to get into the end zone, propel himself just the one yard that he needed to score that touchdown. After the extra point, Bengals go up 17-7 to with six and a half minutes left to go in the second quarter. And I should point out, it's a, in this second quarter, the Bengals had the wind to their back. The wind, I don't know why CBS didn't really, I don't think they mentioned it at all throughout the game, but it was very obvious from which direction the offense was going. So the Bengals in the second and third quarter had the wind to their back. In the first and fourth quarter, they had the wind in their face, and obviously vice versa for the Chiefs. Chiefs had it to their back in that fourth quarter where they were scoring a bunch of field goals. Now, I think was a big part of the coaching matchup in this game. Both teams were trying to plan for how they want to play the game based on the wind. And that was, I don't know why they didn't mention that on TV. I felt like that was a big element of the game that was kind of not mentioned at all. But even though the Bengals were up 17-7 to with about half of the second quarter left to go, Bengals' defense was not able to completely shut down the Chiefs' offense. Chiefs' offense ended up scoring two more field goals before halftime. Most of them were due to Bengals giving up long runs to Isaiah Pacheco. Bengals weren't able to do anything defensively to slow down the Chiefs' running game. Isaiah Pacheco had 130 yards rushing 
on only 18 carries, pretty much doubling up or more than doubling up Joe Mixon's effectiveness. He had over six yards per carry and a lot of missed tackles by the Bengals defense. You know, it was just the Bengals defense, their defensive line was getting absolutely dominated up front. B.J. Hill, you know, he's not D.J. Reader, but they put him in the D.J. Reader spot. They put B.J. Hill as their nose tackle. So he was taking on a lot of the double teams, but B.J. Hill is not D.J. Reader. He can't fight off the double team, so he was just getting double teamed all the way out of the picture. Then they had number 95, Zach Carter, who was just getting walled off by one guy. They didn't even have to double team Zach Carter. He was just getting blocked by one guy all the way down the field. Whoever they brought in, it didn't matter. J. Tufele, Josh Tupo. None of those guys were really able to do much to stop the Chiefs up front. Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard, they really weren't able to do anything. I don't think Sam Hubbard is 100% either. He hasn't really made too much of his injury status, but he mentioned that he's going to have to have surgery in the offseason. So whatever Sam Hubbard has been going through, he's fighting through it, but he didn't really make a huge impact in this game. And then the Bengals linebackers were pretty much non-existent. Logan Wilson had a handful of tackles. But Jermaine Pratt, number 57, he only had, if you go back and look in the stats in this game, Jermaine Pratt on the day had one tackle, and it wasn't even a solo tackle, it was an assist. Jermaine Pratt played almost every snap on defense, and he had one assist for a tackle. He basically did absolutely nothing. Brad Robbins, the punter, had one tackle. Jermaine Pratt, our starting middle linebacker, had one tackle. And there were so many plays where Jermaine Pratt was just getting blocked, completely blocked, not held. Just, just blocked all the way out of the play, out of the picture. He wasn't able to get a hand on anybody. Didn't make any kind of an impact. So that was not really... He hasn't really done anything to speak of this season. And when you think about this game, I try to go back and think like, you know, the physicality. Where was it? There was nobody coming up and making a stop. None of the Chiefs ever got stopped in the tracks. You know, the only person I could think of who made a tackle for a loss was Mike Hilton in this game. Otherwise, everybody else was like absorbing the impact of the Chiefs guys running at them and they were hanging on for dear life and hopefully they could drag them down after they got a few more yards. But it was never meeting the Chiefs at the point of contact, stopping them and pushing them backwards. It was always the Bengals absorbing the hits and getting driven back three or four yards until they finally are able to bring them down, slow them down enough Somebody else can get there, and like after three or four Bengals finally jump on top of the guy, he'll fall down. But there's no coming up, making hard hits. So Bengals linebackers, Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, they weren't making any stops, which meant that the Chiefs were getting to the second level. And then the Bengals' safeties weren't making any plays when they had the opportunities. Jordan Battle taking bad angles or just being slow in general, making arm or not making arm tackles, missing the tackle. Dax Hill, he was making tackles, but they would be like 20 yards down the field after, you know, the guy was already on his way to the end zone about to score a touchdown. Dax Hill had the recovery speed to get back into the picture and prevent them from scoring a touchdown, which was, you know, positive in that this turned into field goals instead of long touchdowns. But still, like, we need to make some plays to stop them from making these long 30, 40, 50 yard plays all the way down the field. There was maybe some miscommunication in the defensive back end, but it was mostly just getting beat. You can say whatever you want about we didn't communicate, we didn't have the right game plan, whatever. But sometimes these guys were just getting beat, straight up one-on-one losing. So it was the kind of bend and also kind of break defense for the Bengals. In between these two field goals for the Chiefs, Bengals didn't do anything. They had a three and out with a sack and punted the ball away back to the Chiefs, who ended up getting another field goal. Then, right before the end of the half, it's 17-13. Bengals are not going to receive the opening kickoff. They know the Chiefs are going to get it. Zach Taylor didn't really do much. So they they just played out the string, didn't score any points to end the first half. Bengals going to halftime, 17-13. But the Chiefs scored the last two field goals, last two possessions. But you're feeling good, feeling better than you would have probably coming into this game. So 17-13 at halftime. I'm texting my friends. I'm like, oh, man, what if the Bengals actually pull this off? This would be amazing if they could get this win at Arrowhead Stadium on the road. Jake Browning's out here throwing touchdown passes, running in for touchdowns. You know, I, I was optimistic, and that's all I wanted going into this game was I wanted a good, entertaining game. So at least I got that, or at least I got a 
you know, a half or three quarters of a good game. Third quarter, second half, you know, it started off promisingly for the Bengals defense. They ended up getting a stop on the Chiefs first possession. They forced a three and out, no yards, got the Chiefs to punt the ball away. This is where Charlie Jones didn't really do anything on the punt return, but then Bengals offense gets the ball back. They drive it down 74 yards, 11 plays, but they don't get any points. They get it all the way down inside the Chiefs 10-yard line. And part of the reason they got all the way down inside the Chiefs territory was because of a defensive pass interference on T. Higgins. Zach Taylor, after the game, said he didn't even know T. Higgins was going to be in the game at this point because of the hamstring injury, but he came back in, I think it was just for this one play, because he he didn't really do much in the second half except for like the very last drive of the game. But first drive of the second half, T. Higgins was in here, got the defensive pass interference for a 30-yard penalty effectively, got the ball all the way down to the Kansas City 15-yard line. But then the Bengals... I don't know if they were just getting too conservative or what. They did four run plays in a row. They got five yards from Joe Mixon on first down, then two yards from Joe Mixon on second and five. Then they tried to run again with Travion Williams out of the shotgun for two yards on third and three. That brought up fourth and one. And this was a pivotal play in the game. Bengals brought in Cody Ford, an extra offensive lineman, which they had done a number of times. For whatever reason, the Bengals decided that they were going to go with this extra big package of having two tight ends and an extra offensive lineman. So basically, eight offensive linemen, effectively, because Mitchell Wilcox and Drew Sample are not playmakers. They're not really that much of a threat to do anything with the ball in their hands. And we have seen the defenses seem to be actively welcoming the Bengals to throw it to Drew Sample because they know that he's not going to do anything with it. But anyway, so the Bengals basically had like a bunch of offensive linemen in the game. It didn't really fool the Chiefs at all. And I don't know what the Bengals thought was going to happen, but Chiefs came in with a run blitz. They had a bunch of guys just running at Joe Mixon. Ended up on fourth and one. The Bengals tried to do just a handoff to Joe Mixon up the middle. Chiefs you know, they had the linebacker coming completely unblocked up the middle. He stops Joe Mixon dead in his tracks. If it hadn't been one guy, there was like two other guys there. Completely the wrong call by the Bengals. After the game, they were asking Zach Taylor, you know, what happened on that play? Why did you run that play? And he said, and Zach Taylor said, well, I just felt like we needed to go for it there, needed to get it. And I, I agree with that. But then it was like, well, that play didn't really work at all. Why did you call that play? He said, well, they just got us on that one. You know, it was a good call by their defense. We didn't expect them to play it like a run, even though they had run three running plays in a row right before this. They're like, oh, we didn't expect a run blitz on fourth and one at the goal line, which seems weird. Like, why wouldn't you expect that? And it seems like a pretty obvious situation. You haven't really been that aggressive throwing the ball. It would have been a, maybe a better opportunity for... I don't know. I don't know what they should have run out of that format. It wasn't a good formation, good personnel. It had one-on-one with Jamar Chase against the Chiefs' top corner. So it would have been in that situation since they were blitzing. If you knew they were going to blitz, obviously you would throw it to Jamar Chase. But it seemed like in this situation, in a number of situations, because it wasn't just that one play. People want to try to act like, oh, there was just that one play. Like after the game, Jamar Chase said, well, if we would have scored a, at least a field goal to go up 20 to 13, you know, take a, a lead by a touchdown, who knows what would happen, which is true. But the Bengals lost the game by eight points, not by three points. It's not like that three points would have made all the difference. They still would have lost by five, even if they would have scored a field goal in this situation. Because, it's you know, I don't care what anybody says. They're like, oh, you know, after they didn't get any points, like, oh, that took the sail, the wind out of the sails for the defense, too. Like, I don't give a shit. The defense has to make a stop. It doesn't matter what the offense does, whether they score points or not, you know, whether the defense has a seven-point lead or a four-point lead or whatever. Bengals' defense has to go out there and make a stop. And instead of that, they gave up a nine-play, 82-yard drive that ended in another Chiefs field goal. This is a situation where the Chiefs, they were settling for field goals, and it was kind of surprising because you thought you know they probably could have these were makeable fourth down scenarios there weren't fourth and long they were fourth and short where the Chiefs were deciding to go for field goals get the points instead so you know maybe in hindsight you could have said Zach Taylor should have taken the field goal taken the points like Andy Reid did in so many situations in this game but I I totally understand where Zach Taylor is coming from given the fact that they lost by eight points 
you knew that 20 points wasn't going to be enough. Just kicking a field goal there, you don't know how many points you're going to have an opportunity to score against the Chiefs. You need to score as many points as possible. So maybe it was a little bit of over-aggressiveness by Zach Taylor. You know, maybe he should have gone for it in the first half instead of the second half, but you don't know. I, I agree with this situation because it was fourth and one. It wasn't like it was fourth and five or fourth and long or something like that. Fourth and one at the Chiefs' six. You like your chances to get it, even though your offensive line is terrible. I agree with the call. I agree that the Bengals needed to score a touchdown, needed to go for it. They just didn't get it done. Like I said, their best just wasn't good enough in that scenario. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you just get beat. Sometimes the other team is just better. And that's what happened in this game. That's what happened in this play. But it didn't come down to just one play, no matter what anybody wanted to tell you about, oh, that changed the whole momentum of the game. No, there's no momentum. The Chiefs were better from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. Had nothing to do with momentum or rhythm or anything like that. That's the Zach Taylor's new phrase or cliche of the week. Instead of momentum, he was saying a lot of rhythm. They were like, what did the Chiefs do to you in the second half to stop you? He'll never say that another team stopped him on offense. It's just, oh, we just couldn't get any momentum. We couldn't get any rhythm. The other team didn't stop us. We just stopped ourselves. It's like, nah, I'm pretty sure the Chiefs totally stopped you. It had nothing to do with you getting into a rhythm. It was the Chiefs coming in there and sacking Jake Browning six times in the game. It was the Chiefs preventing the Bengals from completing any passes, preventing them from running anywhere. had nothing to do with the rhythm. The rhythm was the Chiefs were just beating you. The Chiefs were better. They made adjustments on defense. That was one of the things that Jake Browning actually said. Jake Browning is honest. He's not a liar like Zach Taylor. So he came out and said that the Chiefs did a good job of spying him in the second half, meaning in the first half, Jake Browning was able to run and pick up yards outside of the pocket because the Chiefs were committing so much resources to doubling the Bengals receivers in T. Higgins and Jamar Chase down the field that that left nobody really accounting for Jake Browning. So once he would get out of the pocket, scramble, look downfield, nobody was open. He was able to just take off, pick up some yards with his legs. Second half, Chiefs wised up to that. They put a single player committed to keeping eyes on Jake Browning wherever he went so that he wasn't able to just pick up easy yards, easy first downs with his legs. So that was the adjustment. Zach Taylor didn't admit that, didn't admit that the Chiefs adjusted to his offense and totally shut him down. He just said, oh, we couldn't get in the rhythm. Whatever. Chiefs outcoached him. Zach Taylor got beat. That's what happened. Second half, after the Bengals didn't convert on that fourth down to get any points, Bengals didn't really do anything offensively at all for the rest of the game. They didn't score any more points in the second half, zero points in the second half. So they got off to such a good, promising start in the first half, scoring 17, taking the lead. Then they did absolutely nothing, scored zero points in the second half, and barely moved the ball at all. Whereas the Chiefs, they didn't score a lot of touchdowns, but they were moving the ball effectively and able to convert field goals. Chiefs had four field goals, so the Drive chart in the second half went Chiefs punt, Bengals turnover on down, then Chiefs nine plays, 82 yards, field goal in only three minutes. Bengals punt it after that. Chiefs get the ball back, seven plays, 85 yards, another field goal. This is where they finally take the lead to go up 19 to seven. Bengals, what do they respond with? Three plays, two yards, punt. They got an intentional grounding on one of these where Jake Browning, he looked like he tried to throw it to Joe Mixon, but he was getting hit at the same time. Ball wasn't anywhere near the vicinity. And that's part of the rule. It's not necessarily fair because intentional or unintentional, they, they should maybe change the wording because he was looked like he was intentionally trying to throw it at Joe Mixon, but he got hit. So the ball didn't land anywhere near Joe Mixon. Part of the rule of the intentional grounding is the ball has to land in the vicinity of one of the receivers, no matter if you were trying to throw it to him or not. It seems kind of stupid. It was like he was trying to throw it to the guy, but because it didn't land close enough, it's a penalty. But whatever, that ended up killing the drive. Give it back to the Chiefs. Chiefs go down for another 13-play, 39-yard drive that took seven minutes off the clock. Another field goal. Chiefs go up. 22 to 17, Bengals respond. At this point, they are down by five. They need a touchdown. Can't just get a field goal to win the game. 
So the Chiefs know that the Bengals have to pass. And at this point, the Bengals are going into the wind. So it's the fourth quarter. The field has flipped around. Bengals are going into the wind, and they have to pass. Not a good scenario. So they ended up three plays, negative 14 yards because they just kept getting sacked. It was also at this point in the game that the Bengals' starting right guard, Alex Kappa, had a little bit of an injury. He was able to come back in, but there were a few plays where Cody Ford, number 61, the backup guard, had to come in and play. So you could tell that the Chiefs were sending a lot of pressure in his direction. They were lining up Chris Jones, their best defensive lineman, right over top of him and sending a blitz at the same time. So it was kind of overloading this backup lineman for the Bengals. Joe Mixon wasn't able to pick up the blitzing linebackers as he typically typically does not because Joe Mixon has not been a very good pass blocker at all. That's another area where the Bengals are really missing a good back like Samaje Ryan, You know, Travion Williams and Drew Sample have come in and they brought them in to pass protect. They're effective at that, but then the trade-off is they can't do anything in terms of receiving. So they're just like an extra offensive lineman. The problem is you have no receiving options. That makes it easier for the Chiefs to cover the people down the field. Jake Browning, even though he didn't get sacked that much, he was standing back there looking at guys who were double covered, and he couldn't do anything because he, he's not, you know, he's not Michael Vick back there. He can't run, so nothing was really working for the Bengals' offense. The Chiefs really seemed like they had the Bengals figured out, and that's what I talked about. How the Chiefs were almost like a divisional opponent, like the Steelers, like the Browns, like the Ravens. They've played the Bengals so many times these last few years. They're so familiar. I think they said it was like the fifth time these two teams have played each other in the two past calendar years. So the fact that the Chiefs had so much familiarity with the Bengals, with their game plan, with their coaching staff, and the fact that the Bengals have had no turnover, that's the same coaches that they've had all these past five years, it seemed like the Chiefs, after they got through that first half, they made their adjustments. They said, okay, the Bengals... They had some good plan there coming in, but no more. They absolutely shut down whatever the Bengals wanted to do on offense. Vice versa, Chiefs got the ball back. This is where, especially this killed them, where the Bengals, they went three plays, had a bunch of sacks, got pushed backwards. Then they punted it, and then the Chiefs had a like a 28-yard return. So Bengals got the ball. They went backwards on offense. Then they punted it away, and then the Chiefs got a huge return. So the Bengals didn't really progress the ball, didn't move the ball, didn't do anything to help themselves, gave the Chiefs the ball back in prime scoring position. And again, the Chiefs didn't get that aggressive. They just settled for another field goal to put themselves up 25-17. Bengals had one last opportunity. There was about three minutes left to go in the game. They tried to drive it down the field but ended up just getting sacked a bunch more, couldn't do anything, gave the ball back to the Chiefs, and that was the end of the game. Bengals' offensive line, for the most part, in the first half, they did a pretty good job of keeping Jake Browning upright. I think the Bengals' offense, they also sold out in terms of having Drew Sample and Travion Williams protecting Jake Browning, making sure that the Chiefs weren't able to put too much pressure on him. But like I said, that just led to a less dynamic, less explosive offense for the Bengals. I don't know why they didn't use Andre Yosivash or Charlie Jones or Chase Brown. Some of these younger, explosive playmakers who could do something with the ball in their hands. Jamar Chase was the number one receiver in this game, but he wasn't even 100%. He said he was 70%. And if you're 70% and you're the leading receiver... Why don't they have anybody else who can pick up the slack? Like, I know they don't maybe have that much trust or confidence in the guys who don't have that much experience, but in this situation in the game, you need somebody who can do something. You can't rely on Tanner Hudson and Drew Sample and Mitch Wilcox to make game-breaking, game-changing, explosive plays. They're good for possession receivers. You know, when you need five yards or six yards, Sure, throw it to Tanner Hudson, but we need touchdowns, you know, explosive points. Those are the those are the guys we want. After the game, there was obviously a lot of disappointment and depression in the locker room, knowing that the Bengals' season was over. But on the reporter aspect, some of the reporters they've already got like their 
Bengal season obituary columns ready to go. It seems like some of these reporters are so ready for this season to be over. They're already writing their like recap of the season, summary of the season, because it feels like, you know, the Bengals have gone to the playoffs the last two years, deep into the playoffs. Some of these reporters are like complaining about how long the seasons are. So I feel some of the players were probably also ready for this season to be over too. Some of the coaches who have been coaching as hard as possible for these last three seasons, there's probably some fatigue that's starting to set in. So you got to take that into account that this was a long season. It's been a long few seasons for this team, for these players, coaches, and as a fan base, we put a lot of our emotional interest into this team. Now it's all kind of coming to a close in a way that we didn't expect this season to go. So it's a little bit of an ending on a down note, but there's still one more game left to play. Jamar Chase, after the game, was still sticking to his guns that he didn't see anything really special on the Chiefs' defense. And I would mostly agree. It's not, I mean, if you watch the tape, Jamar Chase was still open when he wasn't getting double covered. He could have gotten a lot more done if the Bengals had just thrown him the ball. Like, Jamar Chase can't throw the ball to himself. And there were some plays where Jake Browning wasn't even looking in Jamar Chase's direction. He was looking like he was reading... Tanner Hudson to Trenton Irwin to Travion Williams or something. It's like none of those are good options. Why wouldn't even if Jamar Chase is double covered, just look at him anyway. But there were so many plays where they weren't even looking in Jamar Chase's direction, which is frustrating for me. I'm sure it was frustrating for Jamar, just given. But like he said, he wasn't necessarily in the game plan, so maybe he didn't want to take a bunch of hits, get that shoulder re-injured. Now going into next game, we'll talk about that in the next episode, but the Browns, they're already locked up in their playoff position. They don't have really much to play for, so they're probably going to be resting their starters. Zach Taylor talked about how, you know, the Bengals still have a lot to play for. They're not going to be resting guys and anything like that. Everything, you know, still got to get that winning record and momentum for the offseason, which what the hell does that even mean, momentum going into the offseason? How do you have momentum in the offseason? Like, the next thing coming up after this is, free agency, and the draft. If they want momentum going into the draft, they should lose, get some better draft picks. But, you know, momentum, whatever. What they need to do in this last game is get some of these young guys who have been sitting on the sidelines clapping for most of these games, get some experience actually playing in the game. Like, Bengals' defense, in terms of Bengals' draft picks for 2023, defensively, their first three draft picks, Miles Murphy, DJ Turner and Jordan Battle, for better or worse, have gotten a lot of playing time this year. But offensively, the next four draft picks, Charlie Jones, Chase Brown, Andre Yosivash, they've barely played and contributed at all. They haven't really gotten any chance to show what they can do. And they're going to be around here next season, so there's no real hurry to put them in. But it's the last game of the season. doesn't really mean anything. I would like to see some of these guys who haven't played at all get some snaps. And some other players who have been on the roster for a while and still haven't played, like Jackson Carmen, Trey Hill, some of those guys who have literally not played almost a single snap or been active for any of the games this year. They're just, you know, Max Sharping. Those dudes are seriously just every day standing there, not doing anything, collecting paychecks. Put some of those guys into the game and see if they can play at all. And if not, get them off the team, get some other players in here, because I don't see any reason having all these guys just not even contributing at all. Like, what is the point? And before I forget, while we're talking about offensive linemen, one of the negatives or disappointing things in this game was Orlando Brown Jr., the Bengals' starting left tackle. He's going in and playing his old team in the Kansas City Chiefs. That was the team he was with for the last two seasons playing against the Bengals. And he's won Super Bowls, all this kind of stuff. I was extremely disappointed by Orlando Brown's performance this season, but especially in this game where he was just getting pushed all over the place by guys who are smaller than him. Like Orlando Brown is supposed to, you know, he's big Zeus. He's supposed to be this big 6'8", 350-pound, massive human being. But he was getting pushed all over the place. These smaller guys, like linebackers for the Chiefs, were just pushing him, blowing him up into the backfield. It'd be like a run play. Orlando Brown is running around the left end, trying to be the lead blocker. And he was getting blown up back into Joe Mixon. It's like Orlando Brown, for being as big as he is, is so physically weak. It's unbelievable how smaller guys are able to completely overpower Orlando Brown, even though he is the much larger player. Offensively, in terms of the Bengals' offensive line this year, in total, 
I feel like they did better just because they got rid of L. Collins, substituted L.C. with Jonah Williams on the right tackle side. Jonah Williams has not been good or great at all, but he, he's been about Jonah Williams, which is, you know, average. You know, substitute Jonah Williams on the left side for the right side. That's bet average is better than what L.C. was last season. And then Orlando Brown, even though he's not good and not what we expected when we paid him all that money, he was better than Jonah Williams was, more consistent than Jonah Williams was last year in terms of not giving up really quick pressure. Sometimes Jonah Williams, if he was going up against the top defensive pass rusher, would just get immediately beat. Orlando Brown is at least big enough that they have to go around him, but still, he gets beat a lot. He gets pushed back a lot. Not what we were expecting or wanted to see out of Orlando Brown this season because the running, nothing could get going. Every time Joe Mixon got the ball, it was like, Two yards at the most. It seemed like most of the time he was getting hit at or close to the line of scrimmage by multiple Chiefs, not able to break off any long runs. And Joe Mixon's not at the point in his career where he's breaking a lot of tackles for whatever reason either. Bengals offense really needs to figure out what they want to do going into this offseason. I know that probably nothing is going to change. They're just going to say what we've been doing has been working. We're a pass-first offense. we got Joe Burrow, all these weapons, yada, yada, yada. But for all their bluster and talk, they just didn't get it done this year. They're an average team. That's what they are. They're 8-8. Eight and eight. I don't want to go like too reactionary and say, oh, the Bengals are terrible. They suck. They won eight games. They lost eight games. They're 500. That's really all you can expect in the NFL. Teams are good. You know, like they say, the other team gets paid too. So I can't sit here and say that the Bengals are any better or worse than anybody but just didn't live up to what we expected out of the Bengals from this season, given the fact that there was so much consistency from the previous years when they had success. But the story has not yet been completely written. There's still one more game left. There's still an opportunity to beat their arch nemesis in the Cleveland Browns in this last game of the season. And if they do win this game, they could go to 9-8 and eight and have a winning record overall, which is, the, it's not the ultimate goal, but you do want to have a winning record just to say that you're, you know, like Mike Tomlin has this streak of not having any losing records. Zach Taylor doesn't have a streak like that. And if realistically, this is about an above average season for Zach Taylor. He's had losing seasons where they've only won two or four games. They had a couple seasons where they won 10 and 11 games. Winning eight games in a season is still better than average for Zach Taylor because he is a losing head coach. So eight games in a season, it's all going to come down to this last game. And Zach Taylor said they're going to do whatever they can to win this game coming up against the Browns. We'll, we'll preview that game later. But this game, it was very disappointing. It was the end of our playoff hopes and dreams. But overall, it was at least an entertaining game in itself. At least there was a hope for that brief moment in time. It was at least enjoyable to watch. And that's really... All you can ask for, just something to take your mind off whatever else nonsense is going on in the world these days. We can at least distract ourselves with this stupid football game. One last thing before I go, I almost forgot. There, the reporters and people who do podcasts, you know, who work for the Bengals, they try to give the players and coaches all these built-in excuses for why things didn't go their way this year. They try to say, oh, well, did it seem like, you know, once Joe Burrow went down, the season was kind of cursed. Or, you know, once DJ Reader and Joe Burrow went down, it seemed like you're, you know, is this one of those years? And Jamar Chase said, no, there's no curse. Injuries happen in football. That's the way the game goes. Everybody's dealing with injuries, and that's true. Every team out there, they may not be dealing with their starting quarterback being out, but the Cleveland Browns, who were playing next coming game, they are missing their starting quarterback, and Deshaun Watson has been out for longer than Joe Burrow, but still the Cleveland Browns, and they're missing their two starting left and right tackle on the offensive line. Missing a bunch of starters, they still found a way to win games and make it to the playoffs. So you can't sit here and feel sorry for yourself and say, oh, we're cursed. No, nobody's cursed. They just weren't good enough. So you have to look at yourself in the mirror and find out it wasn't a curse. It wasn't anything bad luck, no momentum, all that kind of horse crap. It was coaches and players and player personnel staff wasn't good enough so the Bengals need to go back to the drawing board this offseason and figure out how can they improve and in what areas I'm sure they're not going to tell us that but they need to figure it out 
So sorry if I sounded so like angry and frustrated in this episode. I know I said this podcast was for fun and you know, maybe this podcast didn't sound like I was having that much fun. I did have a little bit of fun watching this game. I'm going to try to have fun watching the rest of this season and going into the off season. Let me know what you think in the comments of this show. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe, give me a thumbs up rating, all that kind of stuff so we can grow this channel. But we're going to come back next episode with a preview of the Browns, and then we'll break it all down as we typically do. The season's not over, so don't tune out just yet. Still one more game left. And maybe Jamar Chase could get to 100 catches. Right now he's at 96, so maybe that's a milestone. He can continue adding on to his already career record that he's broken. So maybe Jamar Chase can get to 100. If the Browns sit all their starters, maybe the Bengals could you know, have an explosive offensive performance. And the Bengals are typically good at closing out games at home. You know, the meaningless game, that's when the Bengals really shine. So well, hopefully we'll see a good performance out of them. But we'll come back next episode and break that all down. Until the next episode, I'm going to leave you with a who day and stay hungry for more Bengal Bites. Thank you.